Hello and welcome to Coinstruct, the podcast where we look at the world of finance and cryptocurrency from a more human perspective. Today we are joined by Kurt Wackert Jr. Kurt is a bit of an influencer in the Bitcoin space. He is known for his podcasts, for his publications, and also for his official title as a Chief Bitcoin Historian. He's been heavily involved in the Bitcoin space since the earliest of days, and he's now a key proponent of the Bitcoin ecosystem. In this podcast, we refer to Bitcoin rather a lot. However, we are not referring just about BTC, the mammoth at the top of the charts, currently sitting around 60,000 US dollars. We are actually referring to Bitcoin the system, Bitcoin the idea, which was created by Satoshi Nakamoto way back in 2008. Kurt was an early adopter of BTC Bitcoin. However, he has now pivoted to be a proponent and an adopter of Bitcoin BSV. BSV is another Bitcoin system. It is built on the same ideas. However, there are different parameters. This podcast can be somewhat technical at times, however Kurt does his best to try and explain it to us in layman's terms. Regardless of what is said in this podcast, none of it should be considered as financial advice. I hope you enjoy listening and I hope that you learn a thing or two. Thank you. Yep, you sound good. Cool. Okay, well, thank you for, uh, thank you for joining me, mate. I really appreciate this. For sure. My pleasure. Yeah, since I uh, actually since I started the idea to do a podcast, one of my best, you know, my best crypto mates, he's been pushing me to have you on the show. He's a <laughs> a big how do you say BSVer? What's the Sure, yeah. <laughs> is, is is there like a like a Linkies, a Link Marines version for BSVers? Uh I I don't know. Not not really. I've I've heard some people critically call us beavers. I I don't know if that's uh... <laughs> I don't know if it's because we like to build or if it means something else, but uh, otherwise, no, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I can vouch for the uh, liking to build thing. My my friend, who I will probably end up mentioning quite a few times over this podcast, because he is kind of the inspiration for me inviting you on. He's uh, he's part of the kind of the train of thought that people who are building on BSV, <clears throat> people who are building on BSV, are doing so in silence without any kind of uh, expectation of massive reward or massive recognition. They are just doing, grinding away, doing what, you know, the need falls, as the DGENs would say. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So basically, I'm going to ask you, you know, throughout the course of of this podcast to kind of explain what BSV is, what BSV is trying to achieve, and kind of the difficulties I would say that it's facing um, in terms of public mm-hmm. perception and also if, if there's any kind of technical difficulties that it's also facing. Sure. Um, so go ahead and tell us what is Bitcoin? Well, Bitcoin uh, in, in the most basic sense is a chain of digital signatures uh, that implements uh, or a chain of digital signatures as part of a rule set. The rule set implements a protocol that implements a network that implements a database structure. Uh, in the most basic sense, that's what Bitcoin is. Now you get into all the variations based on what Bitcoin is not, but I'm not going to start there. Okay. Yeah. So Bitcoin here, and I again, throughout the course of this podcast, we're referring to BSV, right? Rather than BTC, because obviously there's a massive difference. Um, the the you know the behemoth at the top of the charts is BTC Bitcoin and the one we are talking about yeah. right now is BSV Bitcoin. Uh, I think I think the most fair way to put it is that um, there are many implementations of Bitcoin. Just like in in centralized databasing, there is many implementations of MySQL, for example. But uh, if you customize your own implementation, it is a customized version of MySQL. So if you if you start with uh, you know a basic structure, that basic structure is Bitcoin. So I very often will talk about Bitcoin as a disambiguation of the general rule set, and then I will very typically mention BTC, BSV, BCH, or whatever if I'm talking about specific implementation details. Okay, so Bitcoin is the vision as set out in the Bitcoin white paper 
the the idea, the concept is that is Bitcoin. Yes. And BTC is a particular implementation of Bitcoin. Correct. Okay. So what you said, it's the uh, a certain defined set uh, steps. What are these steps that make Bitcoin as a Bitcoin? So I, I think one of the most crucial ones is is the availability of transactions uh, for people to create transactions and broadcast them either directly to the public network, the mempool, or to send them to the node of their choice, which is not a typical thing that people do, but it was actually what Satoshi preferred. Uh, it's what he did initially. He was a big fan of actual peer-to-peer -peer transactions. So he believed very much that uh, it made sense to send a transaction from one transaction generator to a specific transaction processor. Uh, he even did it uh, in an IP address to IP address uh, manner early on because uh, he liked the added privacy uh, and he liked going around the network in that way. So uh, it didn't work well because the various, like the IP that you were sending to needed to be online. And so if you were not online, it caused different issues, but uh but yeah, so Bitcoin is is that which allows you to broadcast. Uh, and then also the way that it is written to uh, the database is, is based on competitive proof of work. Uh, and that competitive proof of work also acts as its complete governance model. So the way that Bitcoin is governed is that valid transactions are made valid by honest nodes building blocks upon other valid blocks. Uh, and anything else, all of the proof of node, proof of IP, proof of social media, and all these other things that people think governs Bitcoin uh, truly are a, what I would call a soft attack on Bitcoin. I don't think that they're necessarily malicious, but uh, just like anything, there's like a good way to drive a car or a bad way to drive a car. And when you act like Bitcoin can be governed by secondary associations or by, hey, I've, I've spun up a $60 node and I'm never going to build a block. However, I have a vote and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm putting my flag out there that I support a rule change or whatever. Um, that's not really how Bitcoin functions. So Bitcoin is actually very, very simple. And uh, that's what makes it so great. Um, but yeah, that's in, in short, that's, that's what Bitcoin is. That's how I define it. Sure. Um, so you're saying uh, IP to IP, is that essentially like uh, IFPS? Is that this similar kind of in the fact that there has to be a seed available for it that because IP to IP is, you know, the ideal, really, if you're circum circumventing mm. the entire system, right? You're making it peer to peer, which is what you would, would what you would want for an ideally like a transparent mm -hmm. cash system, a cashless system. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Is it a sense of if there's no seed available, if there's no one hosting, then it doesn't it doesn't work. I think conceptually, if you were to take it out of the tech realm, the the best way to explain it would be if I were to print out uh, a Bitcoin transaction on a piece of paper and hand it to you. We're just doing the same thing digitally. So I'm sending it from computer to computer uh, in much the same way I would send it person to person. And then the recipient then has the obligation or or not. I mean, he, he has the option not to, but he would then upload it. He would ask to, you know, to double check and see if it's been double spent or, or whatever. But he also doesn't have to. It's his money. He can do what he wants with. Sure. Um Double spending is an interesting one, and I do want to ask you about that later, because one thing that when I was reading up about double spending, there was that uh, maybe two months ago, there was the, the incident of the double spend on, mm -hmm. on the Lightning Network, yep. right? Um, yep. So a, a good, you know, a close friend of mine, so to speak, he uh, wrote a piece about the irresponsibility of the journalistic reporting on that double spend. He said how it's... Uh, you know, he gave the technical kind of validation of, as to why it was not a problem and then spoke about how uh, the journalists that reported on it were doing so from an irresponsible place. Um, when I was reading up around that time around double spending, one thing that I did uh, find kind of tenuous about it was that uh, in order to maintain the integrity of the blockchain, the the most, you know, the reason given was economic incentive it was uh, i have it written down here somewhere one sec it was the in in the economic interests of the miner to behave according to the blockchain's rules but that in my opinion is not in any way foolproof as we know that not everything although many things are but not everything is in economic interest and especially if it's something that could potentially damage 
a system as, as behemoth as Bitcoin. So please tell me why economic incentive is supposed to be foolproof in this in this uh, in this context because it is for the whole Bitcoin system in general, right? Not just BTC. Mm-hmm. Sure. No, absolutely. And I think the the problem here is foolproof. Uh, it's it's this notion of perfection. Um, BTC is is developed by people that are obsessed with creating a perfect system, uh, and and they try to apply perfection in software because they want to uh, steer human behavior in order to make the network increasingly secure, approaching absolute security. Uh, and the problem is, is that's a futile attempt. You can't do that. The beauty of Bitcoin is actually its flexibility. Double spends are always possible, uh, just like reorging blocks is, is always possible. Like the, it's the, the only thing stopping it from happening is that economic concern. Now, if Bitcoin were to have five double spends a day, that would be not a valuable system for people, sure. right? However, a double spend once every two or three years, you know, especially a, a low value one, that's not really a concern. I mean, we, we have chargebacks and things in, in the centralized economy constantly. You know, they, Visa has yeah. insurance policies. Yeah, that, that cover these things. And that's just the nature of economics. So I think this notion of, of Bitcoin having to be this absolute fireproof, nuclear-proof bunker of a thing uh, really undermines uh, really undermines its practical use in real business, which really is its true value. If, if I can transact and... I have a 99.999% chance of everything just working smoothly. And once every couple of years, I, I have a double spend and, you know, I have to get my insurance company involved or so, something. That's that's much better than my current system working with my current operating costs and the fees associated with credit cards and PayPal and, and whatever else. So um, I, I think people need to reframe their, their notions about what Bitcoin is for and what even makes it value in the valuable in the first place yeah that's really interesting i've never actually heard uh the kind of the admission that bitcoin doesn't need to be completely foolproof it, it, it the value is in the system in in the blockchain ledger that the you know the distributed ledger but it's not essential for it to be foolproof not something that i've ever mm. actually heard brought up and i will be thinking <laughs> a little bit more deeply about that um just to make sure. clear i've realized that i've We've mentioned double spend a bunch of times and haven't actually kind of defined what a double spend is. Could you quickly give sure. me your like Eli five of what a double spend is? Yep, absolutely. Um, so in in a centralized system, you can't really double spend. So it, what I'm doing uh, is attempting to spend the same dollar twice. In the physical world, that doesn't work because I have to physically have a dollar. So if I hand it to you, it's now your dollar. I don't have a second dollar that I can conjure out of nowhere and, and try to respend. However, in the digital space, uh, these are just hashes. So each coin is itself a unique string of, of digital numbers. Now, I can spend it to you, but if you don't confirm it, if you don't take it to somebody else to say, hey, you know, is this actually mine? Was it given to somebody else previously? You don't actually know. So that's where proof of work comes in. This is where the, the honest nodes of the network uh, mine a transaction and make sure that it was not spent separately. In practical terms, uh, a, an average person doesn't really have a great ability to attempt a double spend. But if you're running a, a full node implementation uh, of, of the mining software for Bitcoin, uh, you can broadcast something with a very low fee so that it doesn't confirm quickly. It just hangs there. Uh, and then you can double spend. You can send the same transaction again, essentially, uh, with a higher fee. And uh, you can send it back to yourself. For example, or you can just send it to another person, uh, and and this is this is the double spend problem that Bitcoin fixes. But it fixes it practically; it doesn't fix it absolutely. Sure. So there's this kind of narrative that if a double spend is possible, I think the the most recent one was twenty six dollars or something. You know, a, a relatively twenty one. It was about twenty one bucks when it was double spent. Right. So, yeah. Which is funny. I've heard all kinds of conspiracies about it being 21 million on the 21st and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yep. Um, <laughs> but there's this kind of narrative that if it's possible for $21, then it's possible for $200 million. And what if governments are making transactions over the Bitcoin uh, blockchain and a nefarious mm -hmm. actor spots this and somehow engineers a double spend and all this money just evaporates? Like, is that kind mm -hmm. of thing a, a, a genuine possibility? 
it it is. And, and Satoshi actually talked about this. So um, for something like twenty one dollars or you know or less, I mean, imagine me and you are playing a video game or, or poker for pennies or something. Like you and I don't really care. You know, like if if there's some massive reorg of the blockchain and me and you lost three cents, it's not like we're going to lose our minds over it. But so, uh, if I was buying a house and you know spending three hundred thousand uh, dollars, Satoshi was very clear. Wait for more block confirmations. This is the this is the nature of the network to allow the miners to continue to validate each other's blocks. And for each block, there's a certain amount of reward uh, given each time you add a block to the chain. In, in terms uh, of mining if, fee, right? Correct. So the, the mining subsidy, actually. So uh, right now it's 6.25 Bitcoins per block, uh, which on BTC is, I don't even know, because right. I haven't checked the price today. But <laughs> uh, like... 400,000, 350,000, something like that. Let's let's say it's $400,000. Right. So if I'm spending $400,000, then those miners are being paid $400,000 to validate my block. And after two blocks, they've now they've now got an $800,000 incentive to protect $400,000. And then they've got 1.2 million, you know, going for every block. So if however I spend a billion dollars, well then I need to wait a lot of blocks in order for the incentive to be to keep my money where it is. So that's that's right. a concern depending on how much money you're actually spending. That's why it's an economic concern. And the more blocks it's buried under, the the safer your money uh, because is. These frankly, these blocks so, are, are confirmations of the, the you know of the validity of the transaction, right? Exactly. And how many do you know roughly? Obviously, you might not be the bible of this, but um, you are a Bitcoin historian, which I will. Mm-hmm. ask you about that later um roughly how many blocks are produced a day uh per day so it's uh would be a block every 10 minutes so a six blocks per hour times 24 hours so oh, that wow. comes out to yeah as we got i'm gonna do a little math i haven't had my coffee or i'm just having my coffee today <laughs> so my my brain math it's 144 blocks a day times typically 6.2 but... so what like 850 odd Bitcoin per day is is still being mined out of the out of the blockchain. Mm-hmm. I had no idea it was yes, that sir. high. You know, really interesting. Um, yeah, it's about nine hundred. It's nine hundred bitcoins a day are are mined currently. What's that? Five hundred thousand? Uh, Fifty thousand? That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is an interesting point: is the Bitcoin mining operations right? Is uh, for BTC, current mining operations is, is huge business, and it's also become incredibly political, uh, especially the past year or so. Um, I saw an interview with Anthony Pompliano and that chap, what was his name? Uh, veteran investor. Do you remember? Have you seen this? It was quite recent. Uh, I, I don't know if I have. Uh, Michael Saylor was on with him recently it may uh, from MicroStrategy. I don't think it was Michael Saylor. No, it wasn't. Um, but he's a, a kind of TradFi behemoth. He's been there for a while. Um, and he was expressing his kind of doubts on Bitcoin uh, against mm-hmm. Pomp, which is obviously hilarious. Um, but his biggest actual issue that he raised was the his fear of the political control that both Russia and China will have in terms of the fact that they are now the largest miners of Bitcoins in the world, uh, and Iran as well. And for me, to me, that just mm-hmm. sounds like total you know, CIA fear-mongering, really. But um, what kind of power does a miner dictate over the blockchain if they are mining a large portion? Um, I, I would say actually very little. So the, the mining, the, the real governance model of, of Bitcoin is that miners enforce the rules of Bitcoin, uh, which are set in stone. Satoshi was very clear that when version 0.1 was issued, the, the rule set, the protocol, the fundamental stuff of Bitcoin was set in stone for the rest of its lifetime. Now, that's been undermined uh, very heavily, in fact, by uh, social social distortion and venture capital and and some other things. But the miners uh, have taken a very weird sort of backseat role in in a lot of ways um, and allowed social pressure to steer the direction of Bitcoin. And under that situation, I think there is something of a concern uh, that places like China and Russia and Iran uh, have a significant amount of hash power. Uh, however, if they were to become malicious in, in a way that ultimately uh, undermines the network, it's pretty trivial to split them off the network. So what could uh, they do with is, all that additional hash power that, that they may have? 
if they were to be split from the network, what would they do? Yeah, so you say it could be different. It could be a problem if they have all this this you know hash hash power. So what what would that lead to? Um, I mean, you can you you can mine empty blocks, and mm-hmm. so in in BTC you need these block confirmations. The way the way that the network has been re-engineered is that without block confirmations, the network is completely dysfunctional. Uh, Bitcoin's not supposed to be that way. Like you and I should be able to spend five dollars back and forth without block confirmations and and allow that to work in in real time. However, in BTC, that doesn't work, especially when the mempool is is full. So there's this giant fee structuring uh, and you get this backup, you get this giant backlog of of transactions in the mempool. And if nobody is attacking them, then nobody is getting getting their their transactions back and forth. So the network grinds to a functional halt at that point. Um, So an empty block attack, uh, we used to see these more actually out of China uh, because they had really bad connections. So what they would do is mine a private chain. They'd mine three, four blocks in a row uh, that didn't have any transactions in them because they're easier to to validate. And then they would push them onto the network with really high hash power, forcing everybody to reorg their blocks. Uh, and and they just take block rewards, but they don't process anyone's transactions. Now but they're still mining. Them, they're still mining BTC for the effort of doing this. They are, but they're only mining blocks. So they're just mining for that subsidy. They are not including any transactions in those blocks. But they're still receiving the rewarded Bitcoin, right? Oh, Correct. So so that's a that's a basic attack vector in Bitcoin that we have seen in China. And it works particularly well because their connectivity is really bad. So they have this incentive to not be well connected to other miners so that they can mine private chains with lots of hash power. And then when they reconnect to the main network, Bam! Here's you know here's forty percent all the hash power in the world, and you're gonna eat our blocks. Wow. And so that's kind of a, you know, it's it's malicious, um, but it's it's because BTC's incentives are so bad. In in BSV, by contrast, uh, the transaction um, the transaction economy is what's valuable. So the the block reward is is the same. It's six point two five, but the dollar value is quite small. I wonder if that was in some way a planned disconnect from the from the public network because although this attack that you're talking about may have been quite dated uh there is 4g five bars of 4g in every single location i have ever been in china and i've been to the top of some fucking mountains in the middle of nowhere with my phone trying to take like some (laughs) instagram videos and full 4g whereas when i'm at home in the uk i could be sat in my bedroom in a fairly central location and I'm struggling to get like two bars of 3G. So th- things have connectivity wise, things have hmm. improved. Hmm. Well, uh, I think uh, part of the thing too is, so they operate behind Tor networks uh, very often as well. Uh, so they, they have location issues uh, because of the political uh, issues in China as well with Bitcoin. But um at the end of the day, the way that Bitcoin should function is that if there's a malicious actor, that the honest nodes of the network just simply censor them out. They just they edge them out of the network and say, hey, you're a bad actor. Uh, you're, you're not mining for the value of the network. And it's our job to protect the network. In, in the Byzantine general's problem, you are acting as a malicious general and we, we choose not to work with you any longer. So uh, malice in a properly incentivized network uh, should be punished rapidly. And then the most valuable node, the, the most powerful node is, is that which creates the most value for people as a whole. It should be the peer that you want to connect with the most. Uh, this is why it's important to let Bitcoin be a completely free system governed by proof of work. And that is what goes on within BSV. Correct. This is this is one of the foundational principles uh, is is restoring that economic incentive of the mining network uh, the way that Bitcoin was intended. Okay, so I actually want to segue onto BSV and talk a little bit about what's going on there because it's um, it's a rabbit hole, really. You know, you, you begin to look into. Mm-hmm. I I saw it before my good friend mentioned it to me and told me you know some in depth information about it. I saw it on the top of the leaderboards of the, you know, CoinGecko and had a look at it. And I just, I couldn't really understand what was going on. It it looked like an exact fork of Bitcoin. Um, it was called Bitcoin, you know. Um, but it seemed to me when I looked a bit deeper into some some information on Twitter and, and you know, Reddit, that 
there was a lot of activity going on and a lot of legitimate activity activity that has a you know that that has a result there's actual applications that people use um there's projects that are looking rather large and there's a huge community uh, so, so what kind of is going on on BSV well, everything, frankly, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bitcoin. The, the, I mean, the the way we see it is that that Bitcoin itself is is designed to be a general purpose network for all economic activity. So, I think the best thing to compare it to is the internet. And so, it's kind of like asking what's going on on the internet. It's like, well, there's there's social networks, and there's you know governments, and there's finance, and there you know there there's all kinds of things. And and I think uh, Bitcoin SV more than any other uh, blockchain is doing exactly that, is saying like, we want to create the most valuable tools, the most useful tools to, to allow any person to come up with any business model that they want uh, in ways that can't be created anywhere else. And, and we believe that they will create uh, exponential business value uh, that, that brings value to the network long-term, which is, I, I think something that separates us from everybody else. I, I have not heard another community uh, that is not, you know, laser focused on some specific use case, or if they are a general purpose network, um, I don't see them doing the work necessary to allow uh, general purpose, you know, a global community to join and use their their network because it lacks the throughput. Actual adoptability sort of thing, you know, and a, a good example of yes. that is Ethereum right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Huge fan of Ethereum, I'll be honest, like, because it's just, it's Ethereum, right? But sure, it is a huge you know there is a huge roadblock for onboarding new users especially you know some of my friends from back in the uk i speak to them and i try to get them interested and aware of the the things you can do on DeFi, even just using a decentralized exchange but you know it it's scalable in the sense that it works but it's not scalable in the sense that you you know it's absolutely not it's unusable for people without a large amount of money because of the fees and Mm -hmm. that's it's unfortunate to come back to to the point of fees on ethereum because it does feel like it's the only thing that people have against it but it is just such uh it's just such a huge barrier um bitcoins or bsvs fees how are they looking uh well they're extremely small uh a thousandth of a penny would be a very typical transaction uh Fee. Um, if it were to do, if BSV was doing a hundred thousand times the volume of Ethereum today, the the transaction fee would still be a thousandth of a penny. Uh, in fact, at, in all testing uh, on mainnet and on testnet, we've seen that as volume goes up, uh, the fee actually tends to go down. And the reason for that is is the same reason that in the mainstream economy, uh, that a McDonald's burger is cheaper than your typical uh, pub burger, and and the reason is economies of scale. If you can, if you just have that much more volume, then you can lower the price of each individual unit. And we've seen that in Bitcoin uh, because of the innate competitive nature of the mining network there as well. And also the ability to, to parallelize transactions. So the real limitation in Ethereum is the fact that uh, every node has to cross every threshold together. And until each node does, uh, you, you can't go forward. This is the, the fundamental uh design of a, of a global state machine, uh, such as Ethereum. So Ethereum is unfortunately stuck to only being as productive as the least productive node on the network. So, this <laughs> which is something is, I've heard a lot recently. Um, yeah, and it, it's it's just a, it's a, it's a bad design, unfortunately. Uh, but fortunately, uh, all blockchains do essentially the same thing. We have like 6,000 blockchain protocols out there. And what they, they do is the same thing. They accept transactions as data and they write them to a database any way they can. So the only truly like differentiating factor between all blockchains is how much bandwidth they have. It's decentralization and some of these other things, but from a tech standpoint, it's how many transactions can you push? And BSV is that superlative network. Uh, We don't cut corners. Uh, We've seen uh, 600, I think it was a 600, 637 megabyte block uh, mined from the public mempool. And, you know, in a 630 something megabyte block that can be uh, pushing 10 million transactions, you could fit into a block that size. So that kind of thing, um, it's not theoretical. It was theoretical for a very long time. 
Uh, but we've we've smashed all these technical records. The the things that people said were impossible on Bitcoin. Uh, we have shown uh, <laughs> to be many, possible. many, 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 many magnitudes over what we've been told was physically impossible. Uh, we've we've just plainly done it. So, so you said uh, if if um, BSV was running a thousand times the price of Ethereum, uh, the transaction volume of Ethereum, the mm-hmm. prices would be fairly similar. Is that something that's testable? You know, is that it, obviously it's very easy to say if it was running a thousand times as long, but in practice, if it is running the world's economy and it's running hundreds of thousands of times the current transaction volume, you know, what? at what point do you get kind of testing for that? At what point do you kind of get stress tests for that? So there's there's a couple ways to do it. Uh, there is uh, what is currently called the scaling test net uh, right now. It is operated by uh, the BSV node team, which is uh, primarily a group of people over at a company called Enchain in the UK. Uh, but also they have a, a branch in Slovenia uh, that has about 100 engineers that work at it as well. Um, it's a very big team. Uh, the, the official BSV node team is about 25 people, uh, but there's about 200 people total that, that contribute uh, code at all. Uh, but they run the scaling test network. Uh, they've, they've tried everything from 10 megabyte blocks to 100 megabyte blocks to gigabyte blocks. Uh, they're currently working on an implementation that they're calling TerraNode which is a complete re-engineering of the way that a node is even understood. So rather than having a general purpose uh, piece of mining software that is a wallet and manages RAM and CPU and all these other things, uh, you containerize it uh, and you deploy it in uh, sort of like Docker or Kubernetes style, where each thing is its own containerized machine that specializes. Uh, They claim that in testing, they've seen it um, pushing multi-terabyte blocks without messing with the block time. So we're talking 10 minute block times and, and a, t- a terabyte block is good for about a million transactions a second. So wow. right there is, uh, we're talking magnitudes more efficient than the combined throughput of Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, and everybody. Uh, right now, the only thing um, that we don't know, uh, Swift and ACH are pushing something like $14 trillion in, in value every day across the globe. Goodness. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's a pretty high throughput network. Uh, Fedwire is, is of a similar technology, but they're extremely centralized and it's just their, their individual ledgers. Uh, but we believe that with uh, the TerraNode implementation, uh, we'd be able to compete with essentially the combined efforts of every public payment rail on earth uh, and that testing has been being done 24-7. It's a full-time research and development team uh, that has been working on this for many, many years now. So uh, there's a bunch of data. You can check it out at Nchain, uh, nchain.com. They've got a bunch of information on it. Okay, I'll leave that in the uh, description below. Um, okay, so why is BSV, considering all the things you've just told me, why is BSV, uh, I don't even want to be so mean as to say shunned, but I think I could get away with saying that because there is a certain, yeah. it does feel like there's a concerted dislike, a concerted disagreement mm-hmm. with the with what BSV is claiming or doing, you know, I would say doing from what I can see. Mm-hmm. Where does that stem from? Is, is, it, is it like a political thing? Is it like a, you know, what, what is it? There's, there's a lot of vectors uh, at, at play here. I, I think the first one is, is just simple reputational risk. Uh, for 12 years now, there have been computer science experts saying that Bitcoin cannot do X, Y, and Z. And they've built big careers and they've raised lots of money based on, hey, we need to build this side chain or sub chain or, or this other semi or quasi centralized network or federated this and that in order to scale Bitcoin up. Uh, This would include your your very typical conspiratorial uh, bad guys like Blockstream and Lightning Labs, but it also includes a lot of people that I I don't think are nefarious at all and just simply don't understand the the economic incentives of the network. In fact, the very first person to ever respond to Satoshi Nakamoto in 2008 was a guy named James Donald, and he took a look at the white paper or took a look at, at Satoshi's original announcement. And he said, well, this can't work because everyone would need to run a node and blah, blah, blah. Satoshi said, no, you don't get it. Uh, very quickly, he, he explained, we can scale up past Visa today with existing hardware and the Bitcoin protocol. And people laughed at him. People laughed at him from that point. 
And he was determined to solve these problems, but he was pushed out of the community very quickly by people that um, I think saw it as a threat to the general fintech business model. Uh, so these are your, I mean, the your way, Silicon the, yeah, Valley. The way of things, which is so deeply entrenched in, in all power structures around the world, finance, mm-hmm. tech, government, all of this are absolutely, I mean, if Bitcoin in any of its forms or blockchain in any of its current forms is makes real headways into the mainstream, they're, you know, they're quaking in their boots. Really, they are. Absolutely. Well, I mean, imagine being MasterCard Corporation and you've been this giant payment uh, titan for 50 years now. And here's a tool that uh, is exponentially more efficient, publicly available. And there's not really a good way to make profit on it if it's if it's allowed to scale. Well, if you look at who who is the main venture backer of almost everybody in the entire crypto space, uh, MasterCard Ventures is is a huge player. They they are a majority partner in companies like Kraken and Coinbase, uh, also places like BitGo, Fireblocks. These are the big institutional custodians. Uh, they're also a majority partner in companies like Blockstream, Lightning Labs, Ripple. Uh, they're a majority partner and and co-founder of Digital Currency Group, Grayscale Investments, Genesis. Uh, uh, They're majority, major, majority partners in all of these. Yes. So Digital Currency Group uh, is a conglomeration of multiple venture capital groups. Uh, but the, the founding partner is actually a joint venture between MasterCard and New York Life uh, Insurance Company. And they brought a couple of Silicon Valley guys and a couple of old uh, central banking partners. In fact, one of the, the advisors at Digital Currency Group is former World Bank President uh, Lawrence Summers, who was uh, also president of Harvard. Uh, I believe he was a, a White House advisor to the Clinton family and, and stuff as well. So he's very well connected, old world money power guy. Uh, and he sits on the board at the most powerful venture capital group in the entire blockchain economy. And you know, we've seen that that when Digital Currency Group was founded in late 2014, all of a sudden, this notion that Bitcoin can't scale became the uh, it became the absolute. It became the the official narrative of Bitcoin is that Bitcoin can't scale. Bitcoin can't do. We need to implement Lightning Network, and and we need to actually use you know a company like Coinbase to hand out debit cards, and you hold your money at Coinbase. And you spend some derivative asset, or we need all these other things, you know. And uh, that's because it creates a business opportunity for banking, essentially, on Bitcoin, when Bitcoin truly should have replaced them all by now. Uh, so I don't want to get super conspiratorial, but no, I mean, all honestly, of this is publicly, it's, publicly available information. The information <laughs> you just like shared now has, uh, you know, I, I like to question these things, um, and I think they need to be questioned and not are not questioned enough. And you can already see. Mm-hmm. If you know, which is publicly available information, so I'm, you know, I'm assuming it's true. Uh, Coinbase will be the first big crypto uh, IPO, so that's uh, mm-hmm. that's that's going to be the go-to for all institutional investment. Um, Grayscale uh, and and digital currencies in general are the are the bear signal, the bull signals for everyone. Um, the Massive yep. accumulation of BTC in its current form, and you can just see tendrils of manipulation flowing through the whole thing, can't you? Um, which is really, yeah, rather frightening. But any at this point, obviously, there's certain levels of delusion, certain levels of hopium to think that the crypto market's just going to take over the world. But I think at this point, any exposure to the general mainstream is going to be positive. I think there's all kinds of market manipulation to come from centralized authorities. And I think a lot of people are going to get very stung by it. But I do think any, you know, pushing the cryptocurrency as a system, Bitcoin as a system into the public view is a really important step. I think it can be. However, I'm I'm a little concerned. Uh, I I shared a tweet the other day that I saw Michael Saylor uh, gave a gave an interview, and Michael Saylor's bought more BTC than almost anybody in the last year. Uh, but what he said about it, he was asked why he thinks it's so important. And he says, "Well, it's this programmable internet money. You can program it to do anything, and it's capable of millions of transactions a second, and all these things." I was like, "Well, hold on, BTC 
can't do those things. And, and I, I'm, I'm not sure if he's aware of that. <laughs> and, but that was the original promise of Bitcoin. And when implemented properly and in BSV specifically, it is capable of that. But Michael Saylor blocked me on Twitter for, for letting him know this many, many times over the last <laughs> six months saying, hey, hey, Michael, you know, you seem like a smart guy. You're a, you know, you're a, a data science, a data integrity guy. Um, you know, you're from MIT and all these different things. Like, I know you understand the value of data, but did you know that BTC only allows you to purchase six megabytes per hour of data globally? And you have to make six megabytes per hour work. And, you know, people telling me I'm a fool, I'm a shill and a liar, but this is the thing. Like, this is reality. When I, when I look at the top, you know, the top of the, well, I just look at the price movements in BTC and I see everyone following the movements of BTC as the whole market does. So it makes sense. I just wondered, has have any of these people who are actually purchasing BTC have they ever used BTC? Like, it's, it's <laughs> I such don't a, think so. It's no. such an unpleasant <laughs> experience. It's such a, a non user friendly experience. It's slow. It's expensive. It, it's very difficult to build anything on on BTC. You know, um, it it's, it's a very strange narrative that I don't think any of us know the answer to because even the people who know that BTC is a dinosaur uh, fossil. Uh, will still you can't reject it it's like it's just it's an incumbency right. it's like there's, there's nothing you can do about it apart from ride the wave because the price is going to go up so if you try yeah. and short it you you know none of the fundamentals make sense in in the current btc Absolutely. positioning mm -hmm. hmm, very strange um okay so we've spoken a little bit about satoshi uh this is turning to be quite controversial which i do like so um i'm gonna push on push on with that uh, who is satoshi so i think the fairest way to put it is that satoshi is a is a business entity or a corporate entity um i think the evidence shows and if, if you can weed through or wade through the the mass amount of uh, confusion on the topic. I think it's very clear that Craig Wright created the Satoshi Nakamoto moniker. It was something he used uh, for a very long time. There's evidence that it was used for years before uh, Bitcoin ever existed. Uh, there are a number of people that have mentioned, oh, you know what, I met a Satoshi Nakamoto, but he was this, this white guy at this conference talking about the future of money and all of this. You know, and, and these are things happening in 2002, 2005, 2006. Uh, you know, and then all of a sudden this Satoshi Nakamoto guy pushes out this white paper. So I think the fairest way to put it is that, that Craig Wright created the Satoshi Nakamoto name and Satoshi Nakamoto created Bitcoin. Uh, I, I think, um, you know, depending on what you read from Craig, Craig will talk about various levels of partnerships or that there are certain people that helped him. Uh, he, he talks about most commonly that the idea was his, the white paper was his. These are things that he created. Um, the, you know, he's, he's the architect. Um, however, I think there's probably some bricklayers involved that, uh, had, you know, th they did some jobs, uh, they did some contract work. We actually know a number of them, guys like Hal Finney, Ray Dillinger, uh, Mike Hearn. Some of these guys were, were very early uh, to help implement. So were they Satoshi Nakamoto too? You know, I, I don't know. Some of that is, is a little bit opinion based. So it's like um, a, an umbrella term Craig, of, of Craig the is, Bitcoin builders, right? A bit, you know, and, and I think there's also room to talk about uh, guys like uh, Dave Rees, uh, who's an old computer scientist uh, that Bitcoin obviously has some intellectual property from, or even like Ralph Merkel or, or you know, Whitfield Diffie, some of these other guys that, you know, created a lot of the fundamental principles that, be, that became Bitcoin. And they're referenced in the white paper too, you know, so I don't know, like, I really hate the, the phrase, we're all Satoshi, because I think it's like really communist sounding, <laughs> but, um, but I, I think the actual who is Satoshi is a little more complicated. Um, I, I do believe that Craig Wright is that figurehead. I believe that Bitcoin was fundamentally his idea and then he did the lion's share of the work. But I think there's a, probably a couple lower level unsung heroes uh, involved as well. Sure. Um, so for anyone listening and wondering what on earth all these names are, names are about um bs bitcoin the story of bitcoin is actually just so yeah, it's it's like a, it's like a movie in itself right there's lots of drama there's conspiracy there's there's unanswered you know unanswered questions there's 
fishy murders. You know, there's all kinds of things that are that make sense if what Bitcoin is trying to be is actually what it can be. If it's something that can really change the world, change the financial system, change the power structures, then all of this conspiratorial process that it's going through right now makes sense because it it's a, a world-changing idea. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense that there's cloak and dagger, that there's misinformation, that there's people who are heavily involved who are being targeted and, you know, people who are potentially supposedly murdered over these their involvements in these things and all these kinds of things that are for anyone who's interested in deep state conspiratorial information such as this is definitely worth reaching out to i'd actually like to ask you if there's any kind of uh, good sources of information even some youtube videos or whatever that people should check sure. out if if people are interested in such a thing I think, uh, I mean, you can plainly go to Bitcoin Talk and, and look at a bunch of crazy stuff. So Bitcoin Talk dot, is it .org or .com? I forget now. .org, I think. Um, yeah, it might be .org. Uh, but you can just check out or just Google Google uh, Peter Todd and John Dillon. Uh, John Dillon is an anonymous person that showed up on Bitcoin.org and put up a bounty uh, to any Bitcoin developer that would help him with uh creating what's called the RBF protocol, the replaced by fee protocol, which added uh, an extra vector of double spend risk to Bitcoin. Uh, it was extremely contentious when it was added, um, but he paid Peter Todd and, and he plainly said, oh, I'm a, I'm a clandestine government agent and I don't like what the government's up to, but here's this and that. And like just reading the John Dillon, Peter Todd story, uh, it plainly ends in uh, Peter Todd sharing personal emails between him and John Dillon, where John Dillon uh, pretty bluntly threatens the lives of, of himself and his family uh, to behave exactly the way he he wanted to. And, you know, and, the, and we got this protocol is added to Bitcoin Core at the behest of, of this John Dillon character, who, for all intents and purposes, seems like essentially an, an assassin uh, demanding something of uh, of some software developer guy. So, uh, but he also funded a video uh, that Peter Todd created in 2013 about exactly why the, the small blocker BTC narrative needs to be pushed politically. Uh, and it's, it's a very Orwellian video. So if you can find the John Dillon uh, YouTube video about the necessity for small blocks and, and lots of little nodes, uh, it's, a, it's a very creepy video. It was very much flew in the face of, of Satoshi and everything he said about Bitcoin. And uh, that's a really good spot to start down a very weird rabbit hole yes. uh, for some cloak and dagger on Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, it is, a, it is a rabbit hole for sure. Um, certainly one worth delving down if, if blockchain interests you. Um, so one thing that one of the really, again, it's just like a drama, this whole thing. One of the really you know interesting <laughs> parts of it is uh, Craig Wright, CSW, as lots of people may see him mentioned on Twitter and such. Mm-hmm. Um, Craig Wright is supposedly the owner of, as Satoshi Nakamoto, as the owner of over 1 million Bitcoin. Is this correct? Yeah, over 1 million? Correct. Yep. And uh, I believe it's 1.1 as Satoshi. 1.1 million as Satoshi. And this is yep. supposedly held in a, a, a wallet under the name of Tulip Trust, right? Is that is that kind of correct? It's a it's a series of wallets. So the the trust was allegedly formed during the first year of Bitcoin. Uh, the trust had multiple blind trustees, and uh, the reason for it was to protect himself. I believe that Craig was not himself a trustee, and it was for the sake of protecting himself uh, and his family from uh, the threat of violence. Frankly, so if somebody broke into his house and said, "Give me all your Bitcoin." The answer is, sorry, you need to gather up the trustees and get them to spend it. I don't have it. So sure. it's it's a security feature that way. I'm just uh, doing a quick sum. Um, yes, so 1, 1, 1, 1. 1.1 million Bitcoin is currently worth uh, $60,500,000,000. So mm. that's... Um, that's worthy of an assassination in, in most people's books. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> okay. Um, so what makes you a Bitcoin historian, Kurt? I mean, this the preceding 50 minutes has just been a perfectly good answer for that. But I've, I've seen it. I've seen it written in capitalizations. What, what kind of, where does that come from? 
So I, I've always been a history buff. Uh, I was actually a, a theology nerd. I wanted to be a church historian for many years and uh, decided against it because I got really interested in business. And so I got involved in politics of money and the history of money. So I became sort of a gold and fiat historian for some time, uh, just amateur. And then I, I got involved in Bitcoin in 2012. Uh, I, I had some monetary activist types that I made friends with say, hey, well, we'll pay you in Bitcoin to do this thing. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fine. And so I went down the Bitcoin rabbit hole real early um, and just got really involved in, you know, who, who is Satoshi Nakamoto? Like, damn it, I missed Satoshi by 18 months. I, I could have potentially talked to the guy if I was a little earlier. And uh, so I became super obsessed with understanding uh, fundamentally what Satoshi wanted to give to the world. And it just, it fascinated me, but I've been involved in infrastructure. I was in mining. I was mining in 2013, 14. Uh, I was running nodes. I remember the scaling war. I, I was a Bitcoin XT and Bitcoin unlimited supporter. Uh, I remember when Bitcoin cash was first floated. Uh, I ended up being a, a um, I was a meetup host for many, many years. So I've met a lot of people. I know some of the other old school venture capitalists. I've heard a lot of the stories behind the scenes about, hey, should we invest in this stupid startup called Blockstream? And everybody's saying, nah, they don't have a business model. That doesn't make a lick of sense. And then all of a sudden they get a $50 million seed round and that kind of stuff, you know? So, so I've just kind of been there through a lot of it. Uh, in, in early 2017, I helped found a group called Crypto Traders, um, which was basically just focused on, on portfolio management and trading for profit. Uh, but I was brought on as the, the company's fundamental analyst. So it was my job to just keep my ear to the ground on all development and across the entire space. The Bitcoin uh, space or the full, blockchain space? The whole blockchain space. Mm. So I, I also had experience mining uh, Ethereum and Monero and a couple other things too. So I was very familiar with a lot of the major things going on uh, before the previous bull run as well. And I spent a solid two plus years uh, just doing fundamental market research, uh, really getting to know like lead developers and you know who's actually funding this project, what is your real roadmap, uh, and accumulating knowledge. And uh, in 2018, when BCH and, and BSV split, and accumulating Bitcoin, right? <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> so. So amid the, the BCH-BSV split, uh, I came out on the side of BSV. Uh, I, I've always supported big block Bitcoin, the unbounded Bitcoin protocol. And uh, I, I basically just kind of accidentally became an influencer in the BSV space because I was like, hey, man, can we actually try big block Bitcoin? Like we keep fighting about it. And you get this group of small blockers that tells us what Bitcoin can't do. And nobody wants to like put the pedal to the metal and see what it takes to actually drive the thing off the track, you know? So I, I've just became this passionate advocate and uh, CoinGeek, CoinGeek reached out to me a couple of times and was like, hey, we'd like to hire you to, you know, do some writing. We really like the way, you, you know, you communicate. And uh, I kept turning it down because I was working in cybersecurity for the last uh, two years as well as kind of my my other gig. And I really liked that job. So um, I'm I just kept saying no. And they were like, you know, Kurt, what, what do you want to be? If, if we if we were to hire you to write like an article a week or all, you know, like whatever, man, we just want you to want you to produce some content for us. And I was like, I would like to have the ability to spend my time researching the history of Bitcoin. Nice. And uh, I would like my title to be chief historian <laughs> so that nobody gets wigged out when I'm like, you know, checking out weird books or, you know, I'm surfing the dark web. Like, that's what I want to be doing. I want to really understand the stuff about Bitcoin that everybody else either forgot or never heard. So I'm basically like a, a I don't know, a, a research journalist or some kind of a private investigator uh, working in the space. And, and that's how I got my title, uh, chief historian or chief Bitcoin historian at coingeek.com. And that is why it's capitalized. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very interesting. I um, I have a few experiences with the dark net just because I thought it was super interesting and I'll try it out. But yeah. Um, when I when I was actually interested in it, it was just too opaque for me to get to get any kind of real benefit out of. Um, so maybe when the when the microphone's off, I might ask you a few questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. But um, yeah, no, for sure. I think uh, 
the thing the thing that that just doesn't make any sense to me is uh is is how how does how does bsv's future uh kind of change from here on out because bsv is is you know in terms of tokenomics and in terms of what well, you know to an extent um you know the total supply and the circulating supply and the halving rate and all these sort of things are the same as btc um yep so you know is bsv waiting for the flippening you know is bsv is that even important to the bsv network to be part of that i mean obviously in terms of outreach and in terms of viability and mm. but is it even important for them to 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 be the top of the market cap list i think in the short term no like it really doesn't matter um building building blocks right now is is what actually matters like you can build incredible things, but if nobody wants to use them, it's irrelevant. Uh, and so BSV is this incredibly flexible tool set for people to be able to generate business. Um, right now, the average block size uh, over the last month or so has been between 10 and 15 megabytes a block. Now, that's a lot of transactions. That's that's real big compared to every other blockchain, but 10 megabytes of data, I mean, I, I wouldn't pay a dollar for a 10 megabyte thumb drive today. So we're not really talking about global change at this level yet either. And this is why we're continually uh, underestimated. But at some point between one and two gigabyte average block size, it becomes perpetually more valuable to mine BSV blocks than it does to mine BTC blocks. And it's because a about a 1.5 gigabyte block has more transaction fees in it than it does block reward in it. And at that point, there would be so much demand if there's that much Bitcoin cycling uh, that the price would go up per coin, but also that block reward gets replaced by those transaction fees, which then would pull hash power away from BTC simply because miners follow profit. They don't care. We've, we've seen it a number of times. As soon as it's 2% more uh, more valuable to mine BSV, you see that uptick in hash power. It just, it just shows up. And it's because most miners are there just to simply earn as much money per second as they can. And so if we continue to grow that block size by pursuing real business and by telling people, hey, if you have a payment friction problem or a data integrity problem, we can solve it with this tool. And as they do that, well, our blocks keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, which makes them increasingly profitable to mine. And when they become a lot more profitable to mine, all of a sudden it's it's a it's a very slippery slope where BTC hash power leaves, their difficulty adjustment can't deal with it, and frankly, the blockchain locks up. Uh, BTC can't have a precipitous drop in difficulty because it will simply it, it'll be chain death. That is the end of the network. Mm -hmm. And so they need to start getting very, very worried when we start getting, you know, to 800, 900, 1,000 megabyte blocks on average. Uh, the BTC people are going to be scrambling to figure out some kind of massive protocol change in order to survive what's coming. Um, we should expect that to be uh, a very weird era in the Bitcoin civil war uh, coming up. But <laughs> Bitcoin civil war. How does that, um, what's the time scale that you imagine? for you would kind of anticipate for one gigabyte uh, block sizes? It's hard to know exactly. Um, I'm actually under NDA because I consult a number of uh, businesses that are moving things to the blockchain. Um, I, I know some of them are talking about having millions of transactions a day each. These are companies in the healthcare space. These are companies in the gaming space. Uh, and some of these other things that, that just want to be generating literally you know, 50 transactions per second per user in these environments uh, that, that there's this value created. And uh, some of these things are are imminent. Uh, one of the big ones is crypto fights. I, I think over the next six weeks. I was just about to mention that to you. Just before we ended, I was going to ask for a little <laughs> list of things to shout out for users to check out. And crypto yeah. fights was the one that I was going to shout out. Super cool. Super cool. He's a, he's a guy that left Ethereum. Uh, the, the lead developer is a friend of mine. He, he actually came to the Chicago Bitcoin uh, meetup and we met. He was developing on Engine uh, platform, uh, Engine Coin for 
a little over a year and just said like, hey man, Ethereum will never have the horsepower to do what I want to do with this game. And it looks like BSV is the only one that can. And you know, what can you tell me basically? So we struck up a friendship and, and he's now been working on crypto fights for about two years now. And uh, it looks like um, they are right on the cusp of launching. They are in their, their final beta release. They're doing tournaments on the test net and stuff. Everything seems real, real crisp. Uh, as soon as that thing goes live, we're going to see our block size going way up again. And that's just one business. So uh, I really think that over the next uh, 12 to 18 months, we, we could be seeing blocks that, I mean, I think people's faces are going to melt all of a sudden. The people that are like, ah, BSV is just an exit scam. All those people are going to start looking real, real silly. Right. In, this, in, the, in, the, uh, in the name of neutrality, how long have you thought that the blockchain, the uh, block sizes would reach? You know, For how long has the BSV community been saying we will reach this stage in sense of this year we will reach this stage? Yeah, comes to this year, um, we're pushing it back another year. Is that a thing that has there been happening? No, not really. I, you know, I, I think we've actually, one of the things that I really like about BSV is it's had a very clear roadmap. Uh, as soon as the split from Bitcoin Cash happened, uh, there was an immediate like, hey, like in six months, we're going to raise the block size to a two gigabyte block size limit. We're going to change a bunch of stuff, but that's going to be the predicate for the Genesis protocol upgrade, which is when we take all the limits off of everything. So block size is not determined by the software. It's determined by whatever you're willing to try to mine. Uh, the ancestor limits, script limits, uh, the, the opening up of the entire script stack language. How many scripts can you push per transaction? What is the size of data that you can push in a script per transaction? All of that is, is taken off uh, in Genesis. And that happened in, in just February of 2020. So we're just barely a year out from there. Uh, from there, um, we were very confident about 2020 being the big year for things. Mm -hmm. And then within 45 days of, of the Genesis upgrade uh, coming out, we had the global pandemic hit and uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, obviously business plans uh, got pushed back a bit, but um, we had announcements at CoinGeek London in late February, early March of 2020 of people saying exactly that, like, Hey, we've been testing with the Genesis protocol upgrade. We're, we're going to be able to do all these things. Here's what we're doing in 2020. The pandemic did put a a, a bit of a, a, a comma mm -hmm. <laughs> in the sentence of our victory, but um, nothing's fundamentally changed on any of those fronts. These businesses are all still building. Uh, I, I think one of the other one, big ones to look at is EHR data. They want to do global healthcare data hashed, encrypted, on-chain, making it globally available, more private, uh, that kind of thing. And if we're talking about the the data of billions of people on chain interacting, interoperating with hospitals, insurance companies, other healthcare providers all on chain. Um, as soon as that one launches, there's uh, <laughs> we're going to see some fireworks too. Yes, I can see why, they, um, why people call you a BSV influencer. It's a very bullish talk right now. <laughs> Indeed. Well, and, and the thing is, is like, I, I truly believe that it is, is the best fundamental investment probably in a generation mm. like Bitcoin, you know, and I was a guy, I was a guy who, who saw Bitcoin as that in 2012, I was looking at a $10 Bitcoin when everyone was saying, I don't know, it's some kind of scammy video game money and saying, Hey, this is going to change the whole world, everybody. And I still have people telling me, I don't understand Bitcoin. And <laughs> Dude, frankly, $10 think it's Bitcoin. Funny. that makes me so sad. <laughs> that makes me so sad. <laughs> yeah. Kudos. Um, Awesome. <laughs> uh, you said uh, the Coin Coin Geek London convention, mm -hmm. and then you said Chicago. Where in the world are you, if you don't mind me asking? I am. I am in Chicago. Chicago's home. Uh, I was born in the same hospital my father was born in, so mm. I'm very much a Chicagoan. Nice. Uh, for many generations, uh, this is this is home. Uh, you know, we're 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 it, man. We're we're hustler city. Uh, it's one of the biggest commodity trading cities in the world. Uh, in fact, one of the most vibrant places on earth. Uh, I recommend everybody come to Chicago if you want to see, frankly, anything, because we got it. Nice. <laughs> Isn't Chicago having like a huge um, uh, resurgence, like an economic resurgence? I, I was reading up somewhere like Boston and Chicago or something like two, like two of the mm -hmm. most up and coming cities in the U.S. at the moment. We're, so Chicago is, is really, really blessed to have a lot of natural resources surrounding it. 
and a very diverse economic posture. So Chicago is a finance city. It's a manufacturing city. It's a shipping city. Uh, it's it's everything. I mean, we're we're the corporation. Uh, we're the corporate heads of um, Boeing and and large pharmaceutical companies and all kinds of companies are are based in Chicago. But uh, it also has a vibrant low level, just small shops, small businesses, vibrant neighborhoods. We've got about 10 million people that live in the greater Chicago land area. It's about a 50 mile circle around the city. Uh, and then it's surrounded by some of the most fertile land on earth. So we grow most of the earth's corn and soy and everything else that goes into the city to get processed. So it's like we're agrarian, we're industrial, we're high tech, we're big finance. It's We're a very hard city to kill. So recessions... Uh, people tend to move to Chicago and and make names for themselves. Yeah, so it's uh, it's it's a pretty special place. Well, I haven't I haven't been anywhere apart from Florida when I was younger <laughs> in America yet. So when I do go, I'll sure. definitely check out Chicago. Um, and Absolutely. If, you, if you're in London at any point, be sure to hit me up. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to shoot because it's very late here. Uh, no problem. But I, I really appreciate. You know, the the worst part is is that. Well, the best part is. Let me rephrase. The best part is that I have barely even scratched the surface of what is actually going on currently on BSV in terms of actual implementations, talking about actual projects of interest. Uh, so, as the Bitcoin, sorry, as the crypto space moves on at rapid pace, and as things continue to get increasingly insane, it would be really interesting to do a bit more research into BSV and have you back on and talk a bit more about the specifics of what, you know, just the positives of what's going on on BSV. We've talked really For nicely sure. about the uh, the politics, the conspiracy, mm-hmm. the controversy surrounding the whole thing, <laughs> which I'm glad. But yep. at some point in the future, it'd be good to uh, come back on and talk about all the great things. I mean, for starters on uh, BSV, check out Handcash. I think that's the the go-to mm-hmm. wallet, right, for BSV users, isn't it? Yep. Okay. Absolutely. It's a very, very, uh, very simple wallet to use, and it also integrates with a bunch of the games and other applications. So B- Bitcoin is is both a payments universe and an application universe, and Handcash allows you interface really, really simply, really smoothly with both. I made my first Handcash uh, two days ago, so I'm, I'm super <laughs> excited about that. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh funny okay yes lovely really great speaking to you Kat and uh, I will yeah likewise speak to you again soon cheers mate great bye 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 bye